Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. And happy 2024. I hope this year brings you lots of good blessings and that you just make it your own. My name is Travis Mark. I'm your host. And before I get started on who my guests, yes, plural, guests are today, uh, let me just remind you that I did say I was going to be changing format and I've done that. So there might be a couple changes to the audio um, for the next few weeks, just while I adapt, etc., etc. But the good news is you can also find little clips of these interviews on TikTok now. You can follow us there at, at Musicians Mentor. That's the handle. I'd appreciate it. Likewise, as usual, please continue to give us ratings, reviews, and shares. It's very helpful and it's working wonders. So thank you so much. Our guests for today are... Annie and Cranston Clements. If you're a local to Louisiana, the the surname Clements is probably known to you because they're just such a musical family. Um, I wanted to get them both on the show just to kind of get a bit of a different dynamic between father and daughter. Annie, of course, plays with Marin Morris. She's been with Sugarland, uh, Amos Lee. She's got her band Side Piece, an all-female fronted band. We talk about that. And Cranston is a legend in his own right. He has played with Irma Thomas, Dr. John, Alan Toussaint, Boz Skaggs, Cyril Neville. You name it, he's probably done it. This was a really fun interview for me. Um, I've been lucky enough to do some gigs with Cranston. We always have a good laugh. First time for me meeting Annie, but she was a hoot as well. And uh, we're going to jump straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Annie and Cranston Clements. Guys, uh, welcome. Thanks for agreeing to do the Musician's Mentor podcast. Um, I know it's weird, but even though I know about both of your careers uh, through both knowing Cranston and then from doing my research for this, what I typically do um, is I ask everybody to do a bit of an introduction for themselves. And I know that's weird because Cranston, obviously, I mean, you've played with everybody and you're a local legend. And Annie, I mean, you're playing with Marin Morris and you've, you've done massive gigs. But rather than me just kind of going on about that, I try and always, as weird as it is, try and get the listener to hear it from your perspective so that, you know, they might just understand where you're coming from today during today's interview. So I guess uh, we'll alternate about who goes first. So let's start with you, Annie, if you wouldn't mind. And then when Annie's finished, Cranston, you go for it, buddy. That's okay. I was here first, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love where this is going um, already. Yes, so uh, let's see. I play bass and I sing background vocals uh, professionally. And I've t- toured for many years with lots of different folks. I'm from New Orleans. Obviously, my dad, Cranston, is here on the line. And he uh, taught me so much, which I know we'll get into talking about. Um but my big break was in 2006, I auditioned for a country band called Sugarland, and that band ended up becoming a pretty, a pretty massive, massive band, which was tr- truly amazing. Um, and I, I rode that wave with them for almost 10 years, and I still do work with both Jennifer and Christian, the two halves of the duo in their uh, respective solo careers and uh through that gig i met my husband fed baby and uh we've been married for gosh 12 years now we've got two kids and um 
after Sugarland came off the road, I started touring with uh, a gal named Holly Williams and then uh, kind of a folk neo-soul singer named Amos Lee. And uh, then I ended up out with Maren Morris, who's like a pop country uh, type of gal. And I've been working with Maren for seven years now. I can't believe it's been it's been that long. Now, a couple of those nice. Pandemic years, so you know it's like dog years. Like I don't, I don't know what we do with with pandemic years, but um, but yeah, now my husband and I um, spend most of our time out in Montana, and we are curating music, or he is curating music for um, a resort out here, and we play with a local artist named Amanda Stewart. In addition to me touring with Marin, so we have a trio out here with Amanda and. Um, lots of regular gigs and we just, it's just really nice we live in this beautiful place this small town with our kids but then i also get to um you know head to the airport and hop out on the, the bus with Marin and all kinds of stuff so amazing cranston you want to go for it oh yeah man i mean i basically grew up playing music in some form or another. I mean, starting at home with the piano and then um, getting into school bands, playing various wind instruments, ending up on the French horn. And then this very strange thing happened on the Ed Sullivan show in 1964. This band came on called the Beatles. And it's like, what am I playing the French horn for, man? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's really cool in its own way, but no, I just completely flipped over the guitar and, and you know, songs, song-driven music, let's say that. And very few have driven songs any further than the Beatles, but I was in love with so many bands. But the Beatles, I would say, were my number one influence. I remember going to see the movie A Hard Day's Night yeah. at, a, at a local theater with a buddy of mine. And at the end of the movie, I looked at him and I said, I'm going home now and I'm going to learn 12 chords. I don't know why it had to be 12, but I ran home, pulled out the Mel Bay chord book and started working on chords, you know? Wow. And it just never it never ended. And then of course we morph into the six the late sixties. <laughs> anyway, a lot happened in the, the late sixties and including, you know, going to pop festivals and being absolutely overwhelmed by the San Francisco scene. I got way into that. And of course Hendrix, Cream, Zeppelin, uh, et cetera. You know all the names, but Yeah. British uh, invasion. Yes, and and the and the the hippie thing, you know. I mean, California, the Grateful Dead, the Jefferson Airplane, uh, uh, a lot of you know, Quicksilver Messenger Service, a whole bunch of bands from that neck of the woods. Buffalo Springfield was a huge influence. Um, so it just it just was an avalanche of music. And my brother Dave and I, he's a year and three months younger. We both went through this process together. We're like what they call Irish twins. Mm -hmm. And my brother ended up playing bass. And primarily, he's a great guitar player. But as we were in these bands, he was focusing on the bass. And we just started living 
for for music. That's all we that's all we cared about. That and talking to trees in front in the front of the house. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I have to ask. Uh, uh well, you know, the sixties. Oh, hallucinogenics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I totally get it. Um Annie, talk to us a little bit about what it was like growing up with a working musician for a father. Um, uh, did you understand early on what his job was? Uh, did you realize that it wasn't necessarily regarded as a normal job? And did you, I mean, I don't know how early the music bug bit for you, but was there ever a time where you kind of thought, oh, this sucks because he's a musician? Or was it like a, oh my God, he's a musician and this is so awesome? Uh, it was, sort of it was always awesome. Uh, there was the so many, I mean, so many benefits to having obviously a working musician parent if you want to be a working musician yourself. Um, yeah. But yeah, I always like I always had the coolest dad. Like my dad would come to school functions and bring his guitar and uh, you know so many. I've, I've had people tell me even more recently, someone I was in a band with said, you know, I wish I could marry you only so Cranston Clements could be my father. And like he's, he's, you know, he's a legend uh, in, in all respects, but um, you know, I think that could have gone a different way if he wasn't the, person he was I, I meet lots of people who say yeah my dad was a professional musician but he was gone all the time he never played music with me we that was never like a part of their childhood but for me dad took me to all of my music lessons and also taught me music yeah. lessons so he started me on piano when I was four years old and that was like our special time together was dad you know picking me up taking me to my lessons and he was always just exposing me to different music, different instruments, um, all of that stuff. So it was it was always it was always like really great. Um, there's definitely moments in my mind. I don't I don't know when the switch was flipped to like, oh, this isn't like what everyone's parents do, or like this is special and different. Because um, I he would just take me everywhere. Like we would. I can't remember. I was with my husband somewhere the other day. Oh, we were playing a gig in Montana and they had these, they said, we will be providing you with a sound system. And we showed up, I, I say sound system in air quotes. And, yeah. uh, and it was these like these massive monitors that, you know, were probably from like the, the mid eighties and somehow that got the whole system up and running. But I turned to that at one point and I'm like, I'm having flashbacks to my childhood with my dad just carting me around to all these music stores in New Orleans. I don't know if it was Allied Music or where we were, but like the smell of this old monitor and, and the weight oh, yeah. of this thing weighed like a, a car. And, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, yes, this was my childhood. Like, <laughs> we're going to go to another music store. <laughs> Say I still have scars when we would be at Allied Music and Annie would come up and just dig her fingernails in, meaning, Dad, we've been here for two hours. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> like, 
And we would go to Chuck E. Cheese, too, and have a great time. But we would also have to put in some time at all of these yeah. music stores. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Dad would just take me out on all of his gigs. And I I went with him to Jazz Fest every year since I was a small child. And I would just sit on the side of the stage and, you know, be with him backstage. And he just always included me and, and my younger brothers um, yeah. and yeah. anyone, really, <laughs> who yeah. wanted to tag along. Like, that... And that made a huge impression on me. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that answers some parts of the question. Totally, totally. Um, Cranston, in the same breath, and, and I don't mean to kind of like make this weird or anything like that, but, you know, I mean, again, you know, Annie just uh, sort of mentioned that, you know, there's, there's brothers. I know um, Austin and Tyler. And your whole family seems so talented, but... Were there ever moments in your life that you just felt that raising a family as a working musician was just super tough and, and maybe you questioned doing that as your profession? Only when I balance my checkbook. <laughs> so once a month at least. <laughs> I did it last night. I was in tears. But anyway, uh, I mean, I, I also did a lot of carpentry work which Annie kindly hasn't mentioned, but I was pretty serious carpenter at one point, you know, renovation carpenter and all that. I did a lot of framing. And the day I stuck a sheetrock knife into my left middle finger was when I decided to quit doing that. But I've always known that that would be an option for all my kids would be to pick up a trade, something besides music. But why not go with music if it's working, you know? Yeah, that's true. And it's always, everything's going to be somewhat of a struggle. We know that. <clears throat> but the struggle of hammering nails and climbing up on roofs and absorbing sheetrock dust and all this stuff, I'd rather not see my children have to do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's just that. So to me, uh, it was never like I wanted to force anybody to be a musician, but they were all three of them are so talented. It just happened. In addition to the fact that I was playing music, my son's mom, Jan Clements, is an excellent musician as well. And she and Annie were in some bands together. And, and of course, we had a musical environment at home, you know, which helps a lot when your significant other is not only condoning all the racket and equipment everywhere, but also participating in it. So that that was a, a huge part of it as well. You know, I mean, uh, there was a lot of music in the house. Austin and Tyler's brother, Matt, their older brother, played drums and was actually in the state championship for snare drumming and also played in rock bands and uh, composes a lot of stuff on computer and keyboard and stuff like that. So it was all music all the time. Yeah. Now, I, I do have to mention, Annie might get a kick out of this, but Annie, if you recall, you had been taking piano lessons from mrs herstein right yeah and uh when you were about 13 you said dad i think i want to play guitar 
I'm kind of tired of this piano thing. And I said, well, that's fine. And then I had this little brainstorm. I, I said, well, look, let's do this. Let's start with the bass guitar just for a couple of weeks so you can see how chord structures are built off of the bass. And then we'll jump on the guitar. As soon as you pick up the bass, you never said a damn word about the guitar again. <laughs> which I was secretly my dream in the sense that I knew we would stand way out on bass, you know. I mean, it, that's just a fact, you know. There's a lot of people that play guitar, but a good bass player is hard to find. You well, know? Oh, man. He's told me, he's like, you know, speaking about, like, if you want your kids to have, you know, success in their careers whatever those may be he always told me if you you will always find work if you are a solid bass player you'll always work and it seems to be working out so <laughs> good yeah, i mean it's worked out pretty well <laughs> i actually forgot that that was the logic was that you would you would definitely be able to work as a as a strong bass player yeah. Now, the other piece of the equation is Annie's vocal abilities, which that's a one-two punch. I mean, Annie, in my opinion, you could make it as a harmony vocalist only or as a bass player only. But with both, you got a whole new ball game going. And that's that's just been an ongoing thing that people pretty much are stunned by, you know, that well, it's definitely been, you know, the my ace in the hole for landing gigs because I've been able to do two people's jobs. And especially I tend to work with a lot of female artists because they sing all of their harmonies on their albums. And then it's hard to find women who can also maybe play an instrument and sing. Um, so that's been my kind of ace in the hole for landing gigs is being able to cover two people's two people's gig. Yeah, it's amazing. It makes you more valuable. And I don't mean that in a condescending way to people who don't do it, but no, but it's like you know, it's it's no different to it is different from other jobs, but it's no different to other jobs in that the more valuable you are, the more you know, the more you get called. You know. Really? So. That's why um, I'm working on my dance routines. <laughs> you, you and me both, Cranston. I know, both. man. I'll see you back there behind them drums. Oh, yeah, man. You know, I've got to distract somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk uh, music education for a couple minutes. So, you know, uh, again, in doing my research for this, I know that um, you went to Berkeley, Annie. Um, Cranston? Were you self-taught? Are you a, um, a a monster musician just by default? What what was the what was your your upbringing on the instrument? You oh, know, once man. you left the French one, of course. Oh, I had I was blessed. I starting in grammar school, we had the um, weekly music class with this guy, Mr. Chris Contos. He was the grammar school music teacher. <clears throat> Incredible. He changed our our lives. He taught us so much and it was fascinating to me. I was learning clarinet and then I switched to brass instruments. But um, then when I went to junior high, Mr. Contos got the job at the junior high. So I had him for six straight years. 
in the school band and orchestra. Plus, we were playing piano at home. My mom played piano all the time at home. So, and then we would do a weekly TV piano lesson on public television every Wednesday night. Me, my sister, and my brother would all sit at the piano, and Delaney, being the older one, got middle C. So, (laughs) me and Dave had to decide whether we were going to be high or low. But, but we, so I was playing a, a lot of music even before the guitar, and then when the, I started taking guitar lessons when I was about 14, right after the Beatles hit, and um, with group lessons, it was kind of hokey. You know, we were learning songs like, I want some red roses for a blue lady. You can edit that out, right, Travis? But, <laughs> oh, no, no, that's, that's staying in. <laughs> in any case, it was like, I wanted to play like the Ventures, you know, I wanted to play electric guitar but I started with what I could and then we got into um the whole hippie scene and and I dropped out of school and so I was not playing the wind instruments anymore but then in my early 20s I did go to music I did study music in college at five different universities Uh, (laughs) I never got a degree, but I I went to UNO, I went to Loyola, Delgado, McNeese, UNO and Loyola again. I was in the UNO and the Loyola jazz bands. But I studied with guitar with a guy named Hank Mackey, who opened me up to jazz. I really hadn't gone that far into jazz. And so that I spent several years with Hank really trying to make the transition into jazz guitar. But unfortunately, you don't really bend strings with jazz guitar, you know. And <laughs> I grew up listening to Eric Clapton with Cream and Hendrix and listening to the guitar just being such a tactile instrument where you just you are inside the guitar. It's not like you're playing over it. You're in it. And I just I just needed that, you know. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of my sort of upbringing with music it always amazes me how when i have these conversations how that good mentor teacher person in those early stages you know the person can have unfortunately passed many years before and they've just never been forgotten people don't understand how important those people are oh um annie what about your experience at berkeley can you tell us uh, anything about that sure um So I ended up, I did the Berkeley five-week program, which is a summer program when you're still in high school. And I did it and I loved it. And I was just like, this is it. It's where I want to go. And um, I I loved it. I mean, there were parts of it that, I mean, it was definitely a culture shock to move from New Orleans to Boston, (laughs) you know, in so many, so many regards. But I ended up really falling in love with the city of Boston. And it's been so great to continue to go back to that city over the years to play shows and go back and visit Berkeley. And I, I try to stay really involved with, with everything that they're doing. But um, I was there at kind of a, a interesting time for lots of things. But uh, at the time I was there, I was there from 1999 to 2003. It, 
was coming off like the boy bands and like that type of stuff. And so people and people there were still really into like fusion and, you know, of course, a lot of jazz. And um, I was coming from a background of like playing New Orleans music, you know, playing like the meters and, and yeah. uh, you know, just stuff with my dad, like just playing songs with him I love Motown R&B like that was my background and I was kind of walking around Berkeley and people would come up and they go oh, you're a bass player like five string or six string like Ugh. <laughs> I you know it, it, it was um I was kind of a fish out of water in some in a lot of regards i I wasn't a flashy player I was just a real all I cared about was songs you know and supporting a song and of course I love to sing as well and I love to sing harmony so I really wanted to be in a band and yeah. uh, the biggest benefit for me going to Berkeley was having the opportunity to try any style of music that I wanted to and to play to be thrown into these situations with people that you've never met and you just shake hands and you're, you've been putting an ensemble together and you have to play music together. And that's yeah. what happens in the real world. You show up on a gig and you shake hands with someone and like, all right, let's make some music. <laughs> and you hope yeah. that it goes well. Um, and so having the opportunity in a low stress, kind of low stakes situation to try so many different styles of music and to meet so many different musicians, um, was that was definitely the most valuable uh takeaway for me from going to Berkeley and um also you know another important moment with my dad in regards to that experience is when I started at Berkeley I was doing a double major in electric based performance and music therapy and music therapy is going to be like the fallback career like yeah. that yeah. and about two and a half years into it, I was just really at a crossroads for what I wanted to do. And my dad and I just had a heart to heart. And he's like, look, this is the one time in your life where you can just give everything to music. You don't have to worry about like paying your bills or doing anything else. And like you can always go back to school and, you know, if you want to and get a degree from music therapy later on. But, you know why not take advantage of this incredible opportunity? And so I did and uh, I ended up dropping the major and it was definitely the right decision. And I just got to dive in full, full bore to, to playing music. So, um, but I, I just appreciate that Berkeley really is, as far as I know, it's the only school where you can, you can specialize in any style that you want to. Like I was primarily focused on finger style R and B the whole time mm -hmm. I was there. Like most music colleges make you pick either jazz or classical. Yeah. Either of which I just had no affinity for musically as far as, you know, playing the bass. Um, so to have an opportunity to just really like focus on how to function in a band <laughs> and how to manage myself and that's the other thing about berkeley is you kind of just get what you put into it uh yeah. you can make your own path which is so great but if you're not a person 
who is, you know, really interested in doing that or has the skill set to do that, it's probably not a great fit. Um, so I just got, I got lucky with kind of my personality type, what I was interested in musically and what Berkeley and the city of Boston had to offer me. So it was, it was a really great experience for me. That's incredible. I have to Let's, jump in. I'm going to jump yes, in. Yes, please. Yeah. Annie worked at a gift shop to make some little extra money while she was at in Boston at Berkeley. Yeah. And one afternoon, a customer came in. Ringo Starr. That's right. Uh-huh. Awesome. I This is pretty funny. I uh, He was in town with the All-Star Band. It was one of those moments like, I had my bass. I used to practice behind the counter yeah. when I was in the store. Not like plugged into an amp or anything, but I'd, I'd had yeah. it out. And these, all these people walk in and they're clearly, like I know now that I like operate in these levels. Like these are professional musicians who are very successful. Like they, they have a certain look, their hair is a certain way. They've got jewelry, they've got all this you know, leather or yeah. whatever going on. Uh, and so at first I was just like, huh, what's, what is, what, who, who are these people? And they came up and uh, they're trying on jewelry right up front. We kept all these rings right up the, on the front counter. And then Ringo walks in <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then they all start talking about how the bass player almost didn't make it to the gig, to the show last night. <laughs> And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Finally, I was just like, I'm saying it, my bass is right there. And I was just like, if, if you need a bass player, uh, I'm, I'm your man. And the <laughs> band was like, nobody knew what to do. They're like, oh, crap. Like, oh, God. And everyone just kind of looked, waited for Ringo. And he was just kind of like, oh, well, I bet my bass player would probably be pretty upset if I did that. <laughs> and then everyone was like, <laughs> and they all kind of, <laughs> and then Ringo hey bought like yeah Ringo bought one of our rings so of course he got the ring and then I like picked all the other rings that were just like it to give to my mom and my dad and my yeah. mom's college roommate and the Ringo ring like it was a whole thing but and then the store owner I mean these are in the days before like cell phones that could take pictures or anything like yeah. that and so um the owner of the store was a Tibetan imports store and they were from uh they were from Tibet they were somewhere nearby but they nepal um he was able to get the, the security camera footage <laughs> and I amazing who was able to like jury rig something with the vcr and like lift the footage of ringo in the store and like yes so a very very important very important moment because as dad said earlier the beatles are his number one they are my yeah. number one they are yeah. now my daughter's number one. It's uh, they my number one too. I mean, yeah. you can't top the Beatles, you know. I'm so glad you took the chance with the bass player comment as well because I have had situations in my life where I've I've been that person who does the awkward thing. Yeah. And I'm around people that like seem shocked, and you know, you you yourself are shocked because it's like a big thing. But if you don't take that chance. Man, never you know. might never find the chance and, and rather take the chance and land up with the egg on your face or feel a little embarrassed than, you, you know, yeah. getting home that night and going, I should have done this. Like, you'll, you'll never get that chance again. It's so incredible. That's, um, why, that's why I'm a walking omelet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never heard that term, but I love it. 
Um, let's talk about gigging, guys. Um, Cranston, I mean, you've obviously been playing for decades upon decades as a sideman. I know you've got a couple solo things out there as well. Um, Annie, you, you obviously also no newbie to, to that front. Um, can either of you remember the moment or gig that made you realize that you wanted to do music for a living or that you could do music for a living? And what advice would slash could you offer aspiring musicians on trying to get their first gigs or within a scene if they don't know how to get there? Um, Cranston, I'll let you start with this one. Well, for me, things were pretty haphazard in, in the late 60s. I'll just put it that way. And there was a lot of confusion and, and I had no real idea what I was going to do with my life. But in 1974, I got a chance to audition and got the gig with Wayne Cochran and the CC Riders, which was a, a horn soul band. Uh, Wayne had been around for many years. And in fact, right before I Sometime before, about two years before I joined the band, he had Jocko Pastorius as his bass player. Wow. If you, if you heard of him. So in any case, when I got on board with that situation, I realized instantly this was do or die. And it's like I was at the I was the greenhorn. I was had no confidence, but I, pr I started practicing 12 hours a day. That's all I did was just play constantly until I finally got to a point where I kind of was really cutting the gig. And that was the turning point for me. I mean, once, once I got through that experience, it changed my whole life. You know, it just, it was do or die, you know, and, and, and that's not necessarily good advice, but I mean, it's just what happened to me. Get out and definitely just ask the people if you can sit in, get up and play a tune. It's really, yeah. and that's the beauty of New Orleans. New Orleans is pretty amazing in that regard, you know. It's just so much, so much latitude and people are pretty friendly. You don't have that, that backstabbing vibe that it seems like they have in some other areas, you know, not saying everywhere, but, but New Orleans is unique in, in that regard. And, and you can definitely just get out and sit in second mind if i play a tune you know or that's one yeah. one way to do it well, what about you annie well the the first my my first bass gig was with my dad uh <laughs> at at school i was i guess i was in eighth grade and um we had formed a band, me and my dad, and then another student who was in my class, who was in eighth grade, David Franson, and his dad, Ray Franson. You might know Ray Franson's drum shop. From the drum so shop, yeah. He and uh, his son David and Ray and my dad formed this little this little band, and so Unreal. we got to go and the school had like a special assembly, and they let us get up and play four songs. And we've been rehearsing at uh, Ray's house, Ray and David's house. And I remember have, like sitting on a stool, and I'm still like playing the bass like a lap steel. Like I have to look at you know everything. 
and I was, I was 13, 13 years old. And, um, I remember sitting there and saying to dad, like, wait, do I have to stand up when we play this concert? And dad's like, yes. I'm like, Oh no. Like (laughs) having to like learn how to play without being able to see exactly what I'm doing. Um, but we got up there and we played, we played two originals of dad's and then, uh, we played two cover songs. We played a green day song and a stunt in the pilot song. And like the kids were on the verge of, they wanted to have a mosh pit. Like they were so, it was like, it was such an epic moment. Uh, it, it was like things, it was like what you see in a movie. Like, I went from being this, you know, kind of awkward kid that didn't have a lot of friends to all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, like you are a rock god. Like, that yeah. Was what it was, and it, and yeah, at that point, I was like, okay, this this will work. <laughs> this, is, this is what I would like to do, <laughs> and yeah. um, and yeah, and I just thanks to my dad, you know, being there to just play music with and always finding opportunities for me to to go out and perform it allowed me to just keep you know getting those chances to go and sit in with him and do different things and I had a couple friends you know there just there weren't a lot of kids in my position who you know were like playing a lot of music real seriously and I ended up transferring to a different high school uh that had a really good music program and that was really helpful because that high school band gave me a lot of opportunities to to get out and play and so between that band and just really playing with my dad and my dad's friends then we had uh i had my sweet 16 at the howlin wolf <laughs> with our oh, amazing band, fear of bunnies <laughs> so like me and my dad and you know all these other folks of my dad's generation and um so I got I was very lucky to be able to kind of just walk into this whole world but as far as like advice for people who want to get started um you know and this is probably something that dad you told me I always just tell people like just say yes to any opportunity that comes your way because it all builds upon each other and every gig I've ever gotten has been because of somebody saw me play with such and such and thought, hey, that's a really great bass player. I'd like to have her play with me. And it just, you just kind of keep moving around. And uh, that's, you know, that's that's what I would say. But the other thing, like y'all were talking about with New Orleans, um, I've been in Nashville for the past like 17 years. And our sort of Bourbon Street equivalent is a street called Broadway. And they have all the honky tonks down there. And so I my dream my entire life has been to be in an all female band. Like that's all I ever wanted to do. That's that was my goal when I went to Berkeley. It didn't happen at Berkeley. And then uh later in life I was able to uh get together with some friends and we put together this this band and we call ourselves side piece because <laughs> we're all side men, but we're we're women. Uh yeah fiddle players out on tour with Alabama right now. She toured for years with Shania Twain and uh, Shakira. I mean, she's the Jonas Brothers. She's like best of the best. Um, and our drummer tours with lots of different folks. But 
we started playing two or three nights a week down on Broadway. And our mission was to create an environment specifically for women to get up and sit in with a band because it's so hard as a woman starting out to walk up to a bunch of men on a stage and be like, hey, can I sit in? You know, there's always going to be someone's going to be snickering. Someone's going to be like, oh, boy, you know, eye rolling. And so we had a rule in that band, like, no men could play with us unless they were relatives or spouses. (laughs) And any woman could play with us. Anyone. And so any woman, so we've had dad come and sit in numerous times, which is a hoot and a holler. Uh, and my husband and you know, our fiddle player's brother and all different folks. But any woman who wanted to get up and take a chance was welcome. And so that's, and, and we do that here in Montana too. We play uh, every Saturday night. We have a gig. And just last week, there was a little girl, I might say, she's, you know, 14 years old and I uh, saw them walk in and like her mom had her hand on the girl's shoulder and I saw the mom kind of like pushing her and I'm like, okay, this poor kid. And so I said, Hey, you know, do you, do you play? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I play, I play a little guitar. Um, and so well, come on up. And she came and she took Thad's guitar and she started playing Blackbird and she played beautifully. And it was mm-hmm. like, it was so awesome. And, and those moments, like, the audience, everybody just loves it. I mean, it, I'm sorry, there's this dog barking next door and it sounds like someone's being okay. eliminated from the planet, but it's not a person, it's a dog <laughs> and everything's fine. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's because of what my dad offered to me. It's always been extremely important to me to be a mentor to people. Um, there's an, a, a young guitar player you may know of, uh, Grace Bowers, who's really making waves. She's she's all over the place now. But um, and Dad, you met Grace. You played with Grace uh, in Nashville, yeah. So Grace, you know, when she was getting started, she was a student of mine, uh, just on general music. But I would just do what Dad did. Like, all right, I'm on a gig. You just come with me and sit on the stool and just watch <laughs> how dynamic works watch how people talk to each other what you need to be prepared for in a rehearsal or a gig or whatever and um so i try to offer that as much as i can um that's really cool yeah well it was it was offered to me so so freely and generously by my dad so very fortunate i will be sending you a bill <laughs> Is that what you were working at? Uh, that's what you were working on the last time I saw you, right, Cranston, during the break. <laughs> it's about twenty pages long. Yeah, yeah. It looked like a, it looked like a lawyer's letter or something. <laughs> I can't. We should do that. Like, just tally up the the amount of time you spent teaching me. Like, what that would have uh, run me. The only problem is that it's all. It's all awash because of the hours I forced you to play bass to a uh, salty dog, salty dog. I won't be your man. In fact, I have my guitar ready in case you forgot that one. I, I had a drum machine. I make Annie play, and I teach her how to play like a bass line, like root fifth. And then she do a walking bass for hours. Yeah. She said, 
my dad could rip. What's that? Amazing. That's just how my dad could rip. But man, it was it was extremely valuable. Yeah. So Annie was getting a little bit frustrated with the with that particular song, but we did all kind of styles. We'd set the drum machine up and just start going for it. That's right. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I mean, like, again, we're talking, or at least I assume we're talking pre-loop pedals, pre-voice uh, notes on a phone. Oh, yeah. So no. as, much as, as much as you feel he was helping you, he was getting something from this too, because I know from when I'm practicing guitar and things like that, that, Man, to have that that hours loop when you're trying to work on something new in a key or whatever, it can it can be invaluable. It's amazing. Right. Oh, yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, Annie, tell us how you landed up getting the Sugarland um, audition, and then eventually the Marin Morris gig, and if applicable, and it might not be, so that's understandable. But if applicable, talk us through how you tame your nerves when auditioning for these superstar top artists yeah okay well uh you know it's so funny so last saturday night um we were at our our gig our regular saturday night gig and a song started coming on the loudspeaker and i was like i know this song and dad it was peter holsapple it was the dbs and it was a song called spy in the house of love which is one of my favorite songs so the, the, the long story is that because I was out playing with dad, singing with dad, doing stuff, I met all of these local musicians. I ended up starting to nanny for Peter Holsapple and his wife, Susan Cowso. And uh, they took me on tour as their nanny. We were out with Hootie and the Blowfish. Like it was big time. But Peter's band, the DBs, is kind of this cult band from the 80s that it's like a it's kind of like a big star you know like a band like that where musicians know it but maybe it's not necessarily on everybody's radar well or rem maybe well peter played with rem too oh, yeah. um, but but they were just you know a very sort of an unknown unsung hero of a band but an incredible band uh and then as i was saying earlier you know just by saying yes to opportunities i eventually ended up um, kind of being poached from a band uh, to go play with these two brothers, Joe Stark and Dave Stark. We were out opening for Mark Broussard, and those were some of the most like incredible touring years of my life. But through that, another bass player named Dave Labriere, uh, who's from Metairie, and he toured for many years with John Mayer, he saw me playing opening for Mark. Mark. He was a fan of Mark's and, you know, friends with those guys. So Labriere and I became friends. And then Sugarland, they originally were a trio. And then the third member left and they became a duo and they were sort of reforming the backing band. And at the time, John Mayer was doing his his trio gig with, you know, Steve Jordan and Pino. Mm-hmm. So my friend Dave was just on break. And so they knew he wasn't gigging at the time. So they're like, hey, man, do you want to come play in our band? He's like, well, no, I'm getting paid to, like, stay at home. (laughs) (laughs) That's my dream. Uh, But I have a friend down here in New Orleans who I think would be a really great fit for you guys. You should go, you know, check her out. So Christian Bush, one half of Sugarland, goes to my MySpace page. This is how old, how long ago this was. (laughs) 
And he sees that I have listed Peter Holstapel's band, the DBs, as one of my influences. Wow. And he's just like, what the hell? Like, he he's obsessed with that band. He loves that band. Peter's one of his heroes. But, like, you know, I was 24, 25 years old at the time. It's not, not somebody. It's, it's just, it was a very unusual thing for. Mm. But once he saw that, he was like, okay, I'm going to call her and just have a conversation with her. And so we had a conversation and it went well. And he told me, I mean, like, it's so funny. Like, this is how things went back then. Like, they, they, they couldn't email me an MP3 of songs to learn. Like, that technology wasn't really happening. He was just like, go to the store and buy our CD and learn these three songs. And I went to Best Buy, bought their album. And it was so funny. I was at Best Buy in Metairie. And I, I go ask someone working there, like, hey, I need, I need to uh, I need the Sugarland album. And the guy says to me, oh, you don't you don't want that one. It doesn't have the uh, song that she does with Bon Jovi. That's not on that album. <laughs> and I was like, no, I do, I do want I do want that album. Uh, bought it. And this is right after Hurricane Katrina. And so wow. I was living in an apartment with my mom, my boyfriend, <laughs> Uh, my aunt and her boyfriend, my brother, and the guy who fixes computers at my mom's law firm. <laughs> we were all just living together uh, because yeah. that was what had to happen. And I learned those songs in the kitchen, and I drove to Nashville. And uh, the the way that audition went, which is the way most, most auditions I've found, uh, they are typically only auditioning a very select handful of people now i have been to an audition in la which was a cattle call style there, there's 50 bass players standing in a line somebody takes a polaroid picture of you like it's that's yeah. that's very not didn't wasn't a great feeling um in this instance i think they were auditioning maybe three or four other bass players and uh three or four other drummers and two rhythm guitar players and um as far as like nerves for that audition i have a picture of myself from the audition and i i look like i'm going to throw up like <laughs> i was terrified um but my friend dave labrier who had recommended me for the gig had recently moved to nashville so i just like slept on an air mattress on his floor uh and went to the audition and it went really well and everyone was so kind and welcoming and Christian, who I'd spoken to on the phone, had like a Princess Leia decal on his, one of his mandolins. I was like, okay, these are my people. <laughs> and at one point, I had gone to use the women's room, and uh, I hear the door open, and somebody's in the stall next to me. And Jennifer's voice is like, is that you, Annie? I'm like, all right. <laughs> these, yeah. are my, these are my peeps. <laughs> like, yeah. this is going to work great <laughs> if, I, if yeah. I get this game. And um, I ended up getting, you know, called back to, they wanted to try me with different drummers, different guitar players, and they ended up offering me the job. Uh, and then I, then they told me like, we're not gonna fly you back and forth from New Orleans every week to play shows. You can either relocate here in Nashville or to Atlanta where most of the band lives. And 
I picked Nashville because Dave had just moved to Nashville. And so at least I had one, one friend in yeah. Nashville. And um, yeah, never, never, never looked back. You forgot so, to mention the vocal, the harmony business at the audition. Yes. So that's important. That, yes. So I, in addition to learning the bass parts, I had learned the vocal parts without really being asked to do them. And yeah. so I sang, you know, one part. And at one point, the guitar player, Scott, who was also the band leader, was like, this sounds great. He's like, try this part. You know, you might actually be singing this other part. Because they had initially been a trio and it was a woman who had left. So they needed to replace her on her harmony vocals and her rhythm yeah. guitar. So the fact that I could sing her parts and then, you know, he was like, try, try this. And I did it. And then he, we ended the song. He's like, all right, well, I think, I think we can all go home now. I think we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> like trying not to vomit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how it worked out. And then, you know, once you go through a situation like that, I, I didn't have to audition for anything else for, you know, seven or eight years. So I was in a much different position when it was, you know, time to go do other things. But, you know, still very nervous, especially like auditioning for Amos Lee, because um, his thing is so different from the well, very well-oiled machine that I had just come off of. His thing is super organic. He'll turn around and start playing a song on stage in front of a few thousand people that no one on stage has heard before. And <laughs> wow. you just have to like fall in. And as a bassist, uh, I mean, bass is very, it works with my personality because I do like to be extremely prepared. And that's part of the nature of if, if you're playing bass, it's so obvious when you make a mistake. There's <laughs> just nowhere to hide. And it's not yeah. like playing another instrument where you're like, all right, you guys get started and I'll kind of find my way in. Like you are in <laughs> from the jump. And if you mess up, it's it's bad. So yeah. that had definitely, you know, I'm always show up to an audition knowing the music inside and out, knowing more than I've been asked to do. And all of those things, which helps with nerves, you know, at least just feeling like I got this. But with Penis's stuff, he had like five or six albums already, you know, in the can. There's no way I was going to be able to learn all of that material, um, yeah. at least for the audition. But uh, eventually, you know, I just had to put in a lot of time once I ended up on that gig of just going through the back catalog and trying to be prepared for the inevitable, all right, we're going to play this song that you've never heard, you know. <laughs> but I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I hope I hope that answers your, your question. Of course. Um, Cranston, what about you? I mean, obviously you've seen a lot of um, dramatic changes since your early days as a pro musician to now. Um, do you feel it's easier or harder to be seen um, and kind of land up in the right rooms now or back then? Wow, were you talking to the wrong guy? I mean, I I basically was never a real go-getter. I, I kind of just, things, I would just, I mean, that's not entirely true, but I mean, I, mean, I, I would, when something came along that was, something I felt like I was a, an equal part of, I would be on board 100%. But a lot of what I did was just 
my name got around and I just got called to do so many different types of gigs. It's unbelievable. And many of which um, were gigs, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. like I just thought I, I had, once I made the decision after injuring my hand with the sheetrock knife, I felt like, okay, I'm a working musician. If I, I play, I play 10 million hotel gigs, tuxedos, all that, every kind of big band, dance band, combos, uh, anything. I, I, play, I also got to play with some, you know, like some people like Johnny Adams, you know, some local legends. I have played with Cyril Neville, I, Dr. John. I mean, I got to do a lot of things that were, you know, not that I'd be more proud of than playing you know these hotel gigs but i wanted to work yeah. and, and and the end result was by not being a snob about it i learned a tremendous amount about music from playing so many different types styles of music in different situations and so i basically just like you said earlier Annie, i said yes you know i just if I wasn't working and somebody offered me a gig, I'm doing the damn gig, you know? I mean, yeah. it's like, I'm not being a snob about this. No, and not just yeah. to in, like my side piece band, you know, I had several people like, you're on tour with Marin Morris, you're doing all this stuff, like why are you downtown on Broadway, like doing a four hour <laughs> shift? It's with like, no breaks. Right, with no breaks, yes. And also I did that while I was pregnant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but because first of all, it was fun, and second of all, I was making really good money. <laughs> and yeah. third of all, I learned so much. And now yeah. I have this skill set that I would not have had before. I'm able to lead a band. I'm able to do all these gigs outside of whatever great gig I'm on, which means I can do, I have options. <laughs> so yeah. it's all good. And options are everything, you know, yeah. because I find... And a lot of the musicians I know, they sometimes don't say yes to everything. And and listen, each to their own, right? But but they it's it turns into a regular job for them where they're so frustrated by that one situation they're in and they don't know how to get out and they feel trapped because that's making them money, but they don't feel creatively, you know, fulfilled. So I think options are everything. Yeah, um, be completely locked down I and mean, that that is a fact and I have been in some of those situations where it can it can get tedious and depressing tedious. you know and yeah. I've been, well I mean I've been in a lot of those situations where it's like Lord please just get me through this gig please <laughs> you and me both buddy <laughs> yeah, man. that I mean, should be the name of our podcast dad Lord please that's actually a great <laughs> name for a podcast <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, let's talk family life for a second. I mean, I know, Annie, you've got a young family. Um, the Clements family, everyone I seem to meet from this family is just incredible as a musician. I know that your partner is a guitarist, musician, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on forever. My, I wrote way too much stuff down here. But I have two questions. Now, the one might be a little ignorant, but... What are family get-togethers like for you guys? Are they tough because of gigging schedules with everybody kind of working as a musician? And question two, are get-togethers, and this is the ignorant question, 
are get-togethers kind of like just get-togethers or do you find that you guys always land up jamming at your get-togethers because everybody's a musician? I love it. Well, there are there are many configurations of get-togethers in, in the Clements family. And uh, I think the, the thing that is probably so fortunate for me in my life is that my, my dad and my mom, they split when I, when I was very young, but they've remained dear friends. Uh, you know, here we are 43 years later and they're still great friends. So when we do have family get togethers, if everyone can be there, um, it's my mom hosts and she has my dad and her other (laughs) ex-husband and everybody's girlfriends and spouses and children and everyone. And I want to make a TV show about it because it's just, it's so awesome. And it's just really, it's a really beautiful thing. Um, But usually at those get togethers, since they're usually at my mom's house, we don't have, the only instrument we do have hanging around is a piano. And yes, dad will get on the piano. I'll get on the piano. My sister, Wendy, my half sister, She'll get on the piano, and now all the little kids want to be up in it. So, but the and of course it's Beatles. That's the biggest tradition. Is yeah. we while we're cooking the food, we're listening to the Beatles, and then God help us if like Rolling Stones puts out their, you know, our top 100 Beatles songs ranked in order. Like oh God, like me, Dad, and Mom will just sit there and eviscerate, you know. Yeah. Get, big big match about what is this like wrong you know whatever but so yes but definitely uh and so that sweet little girl who sat in with us last weekend who played guitar played blackbird she came over to the studio where i'm at right now and she's going to start taking some lessons from me and she there's an opportunity coming up here in a couple weeks there's a women's showcase in big sky and i said you should come and perform and she's 13 years old, which is how old I was when I started playing bass. And she's like, oh, I really, I heard about it. I really want to go. But my friend is having this party and, you know, I'm supposed to go to that. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to let you know that, <laughs> you know, if and when you, you do this, you, you're going to miss a lot. You're going to miss the parties. You're going to miss the weddings and the funerals and you're yeah. gonna miss a lot of that stuff because there is no calling in sick when you're Marin Morris the bass player. Like there's yeah. there's just not. You don't if if everybody on the tour had that option, the tour would never be able to function, unfortunately. So exactly. that's just that's just part of the reality. I was like, now you gotta just start making those choices. <laughs> and yeah. here's the first opportunity. <laughs> right out the gate. Yeah, right out the gate, yeah. So, Good taste, though. Yeah, I, and I think she's going to do the show. So. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and I think she'll be able to go to the party too. So we'll we'll figure it out. But, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and if she gets a bit older, it'll be cool to be fashionably late. You know. Exactly. Oh, sorry, I'm just coming from a gig. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, everybody. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, she's she's great. But yes, you you definitely do miss a lot. Um, but when we do all get together, it is so joyful amazing um listen guys i know that we've just topped our time if you'd be willing to give me maybe another five to ten minutes that'd be great um if not that's okay too um but i really don't have much left um so i'm going to kind of shoot through this if either of you had to start as musicians from scratch 
without the network of people you have, what would your approach be on trying to get out there nowadays? Well, <laughs> go ahead, Annie. Uh, well, I mean, I know like the that's it's tough. I mean, the big thing is everyone's you know posting videos to the internet, and that's definitely a vehicle. And there's a lot of folks that get noticed doing that. I think the one thing that is problematic about that sort of singular approach is that you don't. Part of what makes you a successful musician is being able to work with other musicians. Yeah. And so you're not going to find a lot of videos of me online just kind of like noodling with the bass or whatever. First of all, because the bass is not a solo instrument, in my opinion. Uh, and second of all, there's, you know, I like to play with people. So you will find yeah. lots of videos of me singing and playing with, you know, a small group of folks or, you know, playing on stage or whatever. But um I think, you know, finding people to play with, however you can do that. I mean, people put the signs up at the grocery store, like, you know, whatever it is. Like, there's there's ways to find people. But I think you can do a combination of both. If you're going to post videos of yourself playing and then also, you know, playing with other folks and seeing where it takes you. But just like what Dad said, like, going down and asking to sit in with folks, that's the big thing. Uh, you know, people who are already doing it showing up at their gigs, having a vested interest in what they're doing. That's the other thing. The whole me making videos of myself is so one-sided and just so centrally, you know, sort of focused. If you're going to play with other folks, you got to be focused on what they're doing and working. Yeah. Um, and when Amos's band, we used to do a thing at Soundcheck where, because those guys love to jam. And I do not love to jam. <laughs> I, I like to play songs and, you know, do my thing. But they love to jam. And so we started doing this exercise, which is actually really helpful and interesting, where we're all playing something and then somebody plays a riff and then the next person imitates that riff. So you are listening to what everyone's doing and then you've got to do it. And then that ensures that everyone is taking turns and listening to each other and working together and not just like waiting for their turn to do yeah. whatever. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing is like just being sure that your, your heart's in the, in a good place. That's going to, you know, help you work with people. And, uh, cause if you just in it just for yourself, that type of an attitude that generally doesn't result in a whole lot of success. I've been. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Unless you're like some kind of, virtuoso who but to me the, the the joy the whole joy of of it is interacting with other people you know musically and um that that what i was going to say because i was remembering when i first started playing my brother and i and our friends we we would put we had so many bands we would try to put together we wanted and then we started writing our songs actually um back when we were teenagers that that because of the beatles constantly coming out with new original music the uh, the concept of writing music was introduced to us really through the beatles and of course the stones but well the yardbirds the kinks you could go on but oh yeah but basically that was there was a real 
awareness that struck us that, hey, maybe we can write songs, you know? So it was about working with our friends as well. It's not all about the gigs, you know? It was the joy of just like, hey, I wonder if we can play anything that sounds even close to this, you know? Yeah. And, and then, of course, I realized it's all about buying pedals. You just gotta, <laughs> that, that's where I Travis, in, in your imaging, you need a, you do need a picture of Dad's pedal board of doom. <laughs> but I don't know which the doom one is. I'm sure I can I can imagine. Man, well, you haven't seen the doom one. <laughs> you got to send me a picture, man. I got a Annie. If you have that picture, send it to Travis. Because I, I mean, yeah, I'll I'll check. I have some from our Chillins rehearsals where it's just like I can't I can't understand what's happening, but. Amazing. Some of our internet friends can. Well, you know what? I really wish I had is a video from that night playing the Bayou Club. At the end of the gig, they were shutting the place down. There was one drunk tourist left in the room who had just got a 16-ounce draft beer and walked right up to the stage, face-planted into my pedal board with the oh, whole Oh, man. And I'm... the idiot who was playing with me stepped aside to let the guy up to my pedal board. No. Hey, buddy, that's okay. No, he said, "Oh, yeah. right." So anyway, that's that's one of the problems of having all this garbage to lug around. But well, Dad, yeah. I just I just texted my most recent picture of your pedal board uh, to you, so maybe oh. you could forward that on to, to Travis. Yeah, see. please do, please do. <laughs> um, guys, I have one last question for you, and it's uh, it's the same question I end every interview with. Some people seem to answer it quite quickly. Others seem to always feel like I'm putting them on the spot. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Um, so if you need a couple of seconds to think about it, that's totally cool. Um, but what do you think has been the best piece of advice you've either received or learned along the way regarding having a music career? Uh, and anybody can go first. So whoever thinks of first, knock yourself out. Wow. Well, I will tell you, I've got a couple. Um, so, and then this kind of in regards to your previous question about like, you know, what would you do? How do you make it type of, those type of question. Um, I remember, you know, making friends with Dave Labriere, who ultimately recommended me for the Sugarland gig. And mm. at that point in my life, I, you know, I was playing with local bands, but I really wanted to be, you know, I really wanted to, to be on the big stages and, and do this. And I had, I just didn't know how I would possibly do it. And I asked him, I was just like, well, I remember I was, we had gone to like the Apple store together and somebody took his driver's license to ring him up. And the guy immediately looked up at David and was like, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, all over John Mayer's DVDs and all this stuff, you know, yeah. whatever and I remember being like, God, that's so cool. And I said to him, I was like, how, how am I going to get there? And he just looked at me. He's like, I'm not worried about you. He said, you just keep being you. You just keep doing you. And it's all going to work out. And it did. Wow. Uh, and the other piece of advice that, um, yeah, you told me, and I just told this to a student of mine a couple days ago, when I was going through kind of that transitional period of coming off playing piano for many years and moving over to the bass, 
I remember um, I would have moments where I'd just like, I'd want to go back to piano and work on piano stuff. And I remember dad coming back from a gig or, you know, something. I'm sitting at the piano and I said, hey, I didn't I didn't practice bass tonight. I'm sorry. And dad said, it all goes to the same place. <laughs> so like, if you're working on music, you're working on music and it's it's feeding that same thing. And, uh, you know, you don't need to beat yourself up about it. And there's so much as a musician so many different ways to make a living as a musician, so many different uh, facets that make up a career, and it all goes to the same place. So, you know, I'm going to spend for a second because one of the hardest lessons for me was professionalism, which means being there in uh, ahead of time being set up, relaxed, functional, all your gear works. I was the worst. And I, I, I was Mr. Last Minute Louie at every gig I did. I'd come flying in, especially these hotel gigs where they got a 15-piece big band up on stage. And this idiot comes body-checking the guests out the way, trying to get on stage before downbeat. I did that for years. So that was a a lesson I finally learned by the hardest. And the other thing is keep your agreements. Mm -hmm. if, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Even if it's something else comes along that might be more intriguing or more chill or whatever, don't leave people hanging because it, it will bite you eventually if you right. do that. And, and, I, and that was something that I realized that if, if, if I'm not, if I'm not worth what I say, then people, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not dependable, you're not going to get work. So yeah. make, it, make it count is what I'm trying to say. Whatever it is, make it count. Yeah, I like that. Integrity is everything, man. Well, it, 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 it was a tough lesson for me, you know, especially when I would get a phone call five minutes before downbeat. Where are you? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I used to think well, I could remember all my gigs. I didn't write anything down. Bad idea. Man, that's something I do. I started like five years ago. I decided to start writing down all my gigs. I wish I had done it 20 years ago, but, but five years ago I decided to do it. And it's amazing. I don't think we actually realize how many gigs you do. You know, when I've you when you journal of every single gig I've played as a professional musician since I graduated Berkeley. So I cool. Have a written account of every gig. And so cool. Anyone who's listening to this is just getting started, do it. Because it's amazing yeah. to look back and see how far you've come or like yeah. your mindset when good things happen, your mindset when not good things were happening, and also just a way like Write down the sound person's name, and then when you go back to the club, you open your journal. Like, oh, okay, that's Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan, and boy, does that go a long way. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Show, um, but yeah, just also just just look back on on the life and times. Well, I wish I had done that. God. Oh my God. So many gigs. Yeah. So many people I play with. I can't remember. Yeah. I'm sure they remember, though, because you're awesome. <laughs> um, guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Annie. Thank you, Cranston, brother. 
Um, you guys are awesome. And, uh, you know, just thanks for joining me, you know. Total oh, blast. Thank you. Awesome. Later. First episode of the new year. First episode of the new season. Done and dusted. I'd like to publicly thank Annie and Cranston for their time. Please check them out. You can find out more about Annie at AnnieClements.com. You can find out more about Cranston at CransMusic.com. My name is Travis Mark. You can find out more about me at TravisMark.com. I appreciate the patience while I transition this new audio video venture. It'll take me a couple episodes, but we will soon be back at the highest possible quality that we can give you. For more on The Musician's Mentor, please check out musicians-mentor.com. As I said at the top of the program, please leave us a rating or review. Until next time, peace.